Welcome to the Greater Philly Church Podcast, where you'll learn to connect to Jesus and others through great teaching, inspirational stories, and relevant content. I'm Matt Manning, the pastor of Greater Philly Church, and my goal is to help you understand yourself, your relationships, and life in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening. As you're looking at your notes, we're coming through this series, Finding the Happiness You've Longed For. And we're looking at the Beatitudes as Jesus preaches through, thank you, the Sermon on the Mount. And you can find this morning, we're going to look at this, the third Beatitude, and that is talking about meekness. Blessed or happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As you see here in your, uh, on the screen and then in your notes, the title of today's message is Eight Ways Meekness Transforms Our Relationships. The challenge that we face is this, is meekness, and we'll go ahead and put this uh, first slide up there, your first blank, meekness is strength. It's strength under control. If you think about the word meekness, it's not a real popular word today. Meekness is not something that we would say, uh, somebody says, describe your strengths if you're going for a job interview. Meekness. You probably would be getting ready, they'd say, okay, that's, that's actually a weakness. It's not a strength. When you think about people that are meek, it's just not, it's really not in our vocabulary, it's not in our vernacular today. And the struggle that we have with meekness is this, is that meekness is not a go-to for our relationships, but really it's an understanding that, as you see here in your notes, meekness removes the friction that we have in our relationships. The problem is meekness is, it's kind of like jello, it's kind of hold, hold, hard to handle or hold on to. How do you use meekness? Is meekness doesn't mean that we just let people abuse us and walk all over us and do whatever they want to and they can have their way and we just kind of are a doormat. If you would type in thesaurus.com, if you've ever gone there looking for synonyms, thesaurus.com, when you type in the word meekness, here's the words that come up. Deferential, docile, gentle, passive, serene, subdued, submissive, timid, unassuming. Those are not really character qualities that we want to have. But in order for us to better understand what it means to have strength under control, we need to look at the antonym of meekness. And the antonym of meekness, as you look up on thesaurus.com, is a word unyielding. Unyielding. Now, when you look up the synonyms for unyielding, so what does unyielding mean? Unyielding, here are some words that we definitely would not have or want to have attributed to us. Adamant. Determined, hardline, hard-nosed, inflexible, obstinate, relentless, ruthless, stubborn, and unrelenting. On the one hand, we see meekness and we say, well, I don't want that. I don't want that to be me. But as you hear, the opposite of meekness is someone who's ruthless. They're stubborn. They're inflexible. They're obstinate. And you say, well, I definitely don't like that. And think about that characteristic being labeled of somebody that you're dealing with. If they're obstinate or ruthless or uh, controlling and demanding, they're inflexible. The problem is if we see that in somebody else, we say that's negative characteristics. But when we don't choose meekness, that is who we become. That is what we live out. As you see here in your notes, what's the problem with meekness? Meekness, because it rhymes with another word called meekness, we see it as a bad thing. Meekness is weakness, and therefore we fear it. We fear it. We'll go ahead and put that up on the screen, JJ Force. We fear meekness. Because we can't really wrap our minds around it, we can't really get a hold of it, and we're afraid that if we do pursue or express being meek, we're going to go ahead and give up something. We're going to lose something. As you see in your notes there, 
Very briefly, we see this. Why do we fear meekness? Well, a couple of reasons. We fear being taken advantage of. We fear looking foolish. We fear missing a promotion at the cost of somebody else, maybe a coworker getting a promotion. We fear losing respect. We fear being abused. And most of all, and I think this is the most important one, we fear that if we don't look out for ourselves, then who's going to look out for us? If we don't take care of us, who's going to take, uh, take up our cause? Who's going to care for us? So we fear not getting what we want. And ultimately, as you see there in the bold words there in your notes, we fear not being in control. In our vernacular, as we see it, the answer, though, is this. When we look at meekness, and we'll go ahead and put this statement up there, the big idea for today is meekness is the strength to give up my rights to retain my relationships. What would you rather have? To be right to stand your ground and to prove other people wrong or to retain your relationships. Back in the 1940s and 1950s, the race relation issue in our society was not good at all. You think race relationships are bad today, they're even worse back in the 1940s and 1950s. But that was a setting for a guy by the name of Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, he grew up in a low-income housing project. His mom raised him and, and she basically, uh, her goal was to keep him out of trouble. And so most times she would find Jackie would be playing with other kids and getting in fights and wrestling. And he ended up, as he got into his teenage years, got into a gang. And he found himself constantly getting angry because of uh, missing out on having a father figure and, and, and finding himself stuck in that whole environment of trying to get out from underneath the pressure that he felt and that he faced. He got in trouble at school and got suspended at multiple different times. He found himself, eventually he got uh, sent to jail and his mom had to break him out of jail. And she continued to tell him, you have to work on your temper. You have to kick this temper. He ended up going off to UCLA and when he went there, he liked to play sports and he was playing basketball one time. He got so angry at another a player, at an opponent, he took a basketball and threw it at the guy so hard that the fellow started bleeding profusely. He ended up going into the military and in 1944, while segregation was at its high, on military basis, they were not allowed to, according to the military-based laws and regulations protocol, they didn't do segregation. When Jackie got on the bus one day to go across the base, he was told to sit in the back because that's where other black people would sit. That's where they were assigned. And so he said, but that's not the protocol for the military base. And so he started arguing with the bus driver, and his commanding officer stepped on the bus and started yelling at him, and he became insubordinate to his commanding officer, and they put him on a court-martial. When he went to trial, they acquitted him, but he was soon uh, relieved and discharged from the military because of all the problems and struggles he had. Well, as time would go on, and you know the story, Jackie Robinson, he was being scouted by the Brooklyn Dodgers as being the very first uh, 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 African-American to be able to play in the major leagues. And the owner-manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, when he came to Jackie Robinson, he said, listen, here's the deal. I have one question for you. Do you have the guts to do this? There's other black players at the time that they were scouting, but they knew Jackie had the courage, he had the, the grit, and he had the talent and ability to do amazing things. But his owner-manager, a guy by the name of Branch Rickey, he said to him, listen, here's the deal. If you can't do this, if you can't handle the pressure and the slurs and the derogatory statements and all the things that are going to take place, then we're not going to pull you in. We're not going to put you on the farm team. And we're not going to let you play in the big leagues. We'll find somebody else that can handle it. And so he uh, set up basically a pact, a contract with Jackie Robinson that he would never fight, he would never respond back, that he would never lose his cool and never have explosive anger or have a temper. 
And so for nine years in the league, Jackie Robinson went through all kinds of things. He went through uh, people that would write things about him in the newspapers that were derogatory. He would go to places with the team and he would not be served like the other team members because of his skin color. He went through situations where he'd go into a stadium and the crowds would stand and boo him when he got, to, got to, uh, up to bat and when he'd play. He faced situations where 72 times he was hit by pitchers because they were trying to hurt him. Other times players would slide into, a, uh, slide into a base and they would kick their cleats up trying to hit his Achilles tendon to get him out of the game, to maim him. But he continued to have a good attitude. Worst came to worst when one day he was playing in none other than Philadelphia against the Phillies and the Philadelphia manager, he started shouting across from their Phillies dugout to the Dodgers dugout saying, go back to the jungle where you came from. Incredibly derogatory, harmful, hurtful statements. And yet Jackie Robinson kept his cool. What's amazing is that Tables got turned because a month later, in a, a promotional stunt, the Major League Baseball asked Jackie Robinson to take a photo with the manager for the Phillies. And what was happening was uh, the manager, Dan Chapman, for the Phillies, his job was on the line. Obviously, he had a temper, had a problem with his tongue, and they asked Jackie Robinson to show some, uh, some friendship and show some kindness and to take a picture. He said it was the hardest thing I had to do, to put my arm around a guy who had said horrible things to me. And yet he said, I had the long range, the long-term focus in mind that if I could keep my cool, and he didn't use the word meekness, but he said, if I could be a gentleman in the face of incredible uh, hatred and hurt, that I could win the day. What we find here in our notes is this, that meekness is the strength that we have, the control that we have not to get angry, not to get upset. What's difficult is this. J.J., if you can put the verse up there for us, Matthew chapter 5, I think it's a, uh, maybe a couple slides back there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, we find this. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As we've talked about through all of this process, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall what? They shall have the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. And blessed, as we find today, are the meek, because what? They will inherit the earth. The struggle is, as we go to each one of these things, we want to have an inheritance in heaven, we want to be comforted, and we want to have an inheritance here on the earth, and we'll talk about what exactly that means here in a moment. What's interesting is, if we want to have an inheritance in heaven, we'd say, well, we have to work for it. If we want to be comforted, we want to live comfortable lives. If we want to inherit something, we have to, again, earn it and deserve it and work for it. But in each one of these cases, if you want to have an inheritance and have a, a dependence on God, it's going to take place through humility. And we'll talk in just a moment. Humility and meekness, while they sound similar, they're very, very different. You can be humble without being meek, but you cannot be meek without being humble. What we find as we think about blessed are those who mourn, you will, will not know God's greatest, deepest comfort until you go through life's greatest, deepest hurts. And when it comes to having influence and inheriting the earth, as we'll talk about in just a moment, it takes a meekness, and that is to have the capacity to have right relationships with people. As you see here in your notes, there's a story of the rich young ruler. Now, he's not angry, but he definitely wants something. Now, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you say, I deserve, or I want, I need, I have to get... And all throughout the scriptures, what we find is back in Psalms especially, that phrase, those three little words, inherit the earth, are used multiple times in the context of people who are meek. 
And some people have said, oh, those who inherit the earth, well, it's just, a, it's just an allegorical term. It just means that, that uh, people will go ahead and, and uh, uh, you know, like people and they'll be friendly to them and they'll be kind to them. But if we look and we find that those who are meek, if you're kind to people, if you express meekness, you'll have a better set of relationships with people. You'll have influence and you'll have power and authority unlike anybody else. Because in our mindset and today, if you want to have authority, if you want to get the promotion, you have to go for it yourself. You have to promote, self-promotion is everything. And you have to go for it. Nobody's going to give it to you. So you have to take it by charge, take it by control. Now think about being on the flip side of that. Your coworkers and friends who are extremely self-promotional, who all they love is themselves. How do you like being around them? The pain in the butt, right? To put it lightly. It's no fun. Why? Because everything... It's about them. Life is filtered through a lens that says it's all about me. What's amazing is we find this. Blessed are those who have right relationships. Why? Because they'll have influence and they'll have ability to do things unlike anybody else. You'll have the opportunity to have wisdom and have right relationships with people and people will like you when you get along with them. What we find is this. We'll jump into this passage as we look. The rich young ruler and we find, as Jesus interacts and engages in Matthew chapter 19, you can take your Bibles and turn there, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, we find this. We'll go ahead and put it up on the screen, you can look there in your notes. We find in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, we see this. Behold, there one came, that is this, this young guy who's a rich man, and he says to Jesus, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, that's God. But if you will enter into, uh, into life, keep the commandments. And before we go on here, we want to just stop for just a minute and realize, pull, pull the, the, the scene back for just a minute and look at all the things that are going on and taking place here. You understand that Jesus, as he was going around, he was seen as a teacher. Uh, back in those days, the Greeks had this tradition of philosophers and Stokes who would go around and they would teach and they would speak and, and they would have these ideologies and people would follow them to gain their wisdom and to learn from them and be their apprentices, their disciples, if you will. And so this guy comes along and he says, Jesus, I want to kind of get in good with you. I want to be one of your followers. I want to be your disciple. I want to get into heaven. I want to have eternal life. And so he's kind of come along and he's kind of being a little bit of a kiss up, kind of kind of a grease in the skids a little bit, and he says to him, good, master, what good thing shall I do that I can have eternal life? When he comes to Jesus, he's saying, this is what I want. What does he want? He wants eternal life. When you have people that come to you and engage with you and interact with you, be very, very careful. This is a lesson I learned uh, years ago, and I hold to today. Do not listen to what people say. Listen to what they want. Because what they say is going to be very different than what they want. Think about marriage relationships or dating relationships. If somebody says or does something for you or to you, realize that most people, relationships are very transactional because they want something. I will do for you so you can do for me. And what's amazing is this. Our relationships get so out of whack and we'll find the, the guy who approaches Jesus gets very upset. He gets angry. He throws a, a silent temper tantrum because he wants something that he cannot get because he's not up front with Jesus about what he wants. What we find is Jesus responds to him and says, yeah, but I appreciate that, but there's nobody good but God. And he says to him, but if you want to enter into life, if you want to have eternal life, keep the commandments. What's interesting about this whole, whole situation that's shaping up is this. 
Because if you know anything about the Bible and you know about salvation, it's not by keeping commandments or by good works. It's by a what? A relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the premise for this guy as he comes to Jesus is this. What can I do to get to heaven? And the obvious answer is nothing. Ephesians says that no good works can get us into heaven. It's only by relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jesus plays along and he says, okay, if this is the rules you're going to play by, let's go here. And Jesus kind of plays along with this guy and he says, okay, if you're going to do something, keep the commandments. We go on to the next verse in verse 18, we find this. He says unto him, well, which ones? Well, the obvious answer would be kind of like all of them, right? You ever found when somebody comes to you and they say, all right, I want to, I want to get a promotion. You got a promotion and I want to get a promotion. Or I want to do what you're doing. You, got, uh, you, you did something or you have something or you got something. Or you seem like you're doing really, how do you do it? Have you ever found yourself, you tell, okay, if you want to do it, just work at it, do this. Well, I, I don't want to do that. Well, if you want to get what I've got and if you want to do what I'm doing, then this is what you have to do. Yeah, but I don't want to do that, really. And sometimes we can get so frustrated because people say, well, I, I want this and we tell them what to do and they say, I, I don't want to do that. So he responds to Jesus, which ones? Now, our obvious thought would be, well, there's the Ten Commandments, so let's try all of them. But let's see what Jesus says to him in response. Jesus says, we'll count them off. First of all, thou shalt uh, not murder. Do no murder. Number one. Number two, don't commit adultery. Number three, don't steal. Number four, don't bear false witness. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Yeah, they're there. And then he, but he adds a number six, which is interesting. And love your neighbor as yourself. I don't remember that in the Ten Commandments anywhere. If you go back and look in Exodus, that, that specifically is not there. Now, what's interesting is this. When you have the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are about our relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not have any graven image. And then keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy before God. But Jesus doesn't mention any of those. Why? Because this guy is all about him. And when we talk about meekness, meekness is about our horizontal relationships. Humility is about our vertical relationship, our dependence on God. But what's interesting is this. You could say that he's also missing, you shall not cover your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's cattle, their livestock, those things. But six could kind of be that one, I guess we could say. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew chapter 22, a couple chapters from here, Jesus has the same question brought to him by a lawyer. And he says, what's the most important commandment? People continue to ask Jesus questions. And so Jesus says the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to do what? Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. What's amazing then is this. The guy comes back and instead of saying, okay, great, I'm going to go do that. Let's look at verse 20 and see what he says. Young man says unto him, I've done all those things since my youth, but what do I lack still? This guy's extra. He's extra special. This guy doesn't get it. And Jesus keeps coming to him and telling him and saying, listen, if you want, this is what you need to do. And he says, but what more? What more? He doesn't really want to do anything. What's amazing is this. This guy in his mindset, and we're going to find this in just a moment, he says, I've done all that stuff, but what am I still lacking? And Jesus, he, he allows this thing to play out, and this guy's going to not literally, but proverbially hang himself in just a moment. In verse 21, look what Jesus says to him. Jesus said unto him, here's what you're going to do. If you've done all those other things, 
If you want to be perfect, that is not that he's without, without uh, he's flawless, but if you want to be mature, go, sell everything you have, and give it all away. But that's not in the Ten Commandments, Jesus. Well, if you want eternal life, that's what you got to do. And what's amazing is this. He goes on then to say, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, again, we go back to this. Can you buy your way into heaven? Absolutely not. Can you work your way into heaven? Absolutely not. Then why is Jesus playing up this story? Because this man's dependence was on his stuff, as we'll see in just a moment. It was not dependent on a relationship with Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It had everything to do with him. It was not meekness. It was all about his pride and his unyieldingness. What's amazing is this. There's a parallel passage in Mark. And we'll go ahead and we'll put those verses up here for just a moment. In Mark, the same story plays out. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. And Jesus, at the same point as we have in Matthew chapter 16, we have in Mark chapter 10, Jesus, beholding him, loved him. This is a little bit extra that Mark added in from what he remembered from the account, different from what Matthew writes about. He says he loved him and said unto him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then look what he says. He says, come and take up your cross and follow me. What's amazing is this. When it comes to all of us, we want respect. We want people to like us. We want people to give us our place and give us what we're due. We walk into rooms or situations or jobs or relationships in life and we think, this is what people owe me. This is what I should be given. And what's amazing is this, is we find Jesus says, if you want something and you want to be great, have a relationship with me. Follow me. Take up your cross. Give away everything you have. Let's look and see how he responds. We'll go back to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 22. We'll look there and we'll see this. Jesus says unto him, you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. In the very next verse, we find this in verse 22. When the young man heard that saying, he had hit the tipping point. He didn't hear what he wanted. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What's amazing is this. This guy doesn't, he doesn't get explosive, but the terminology here, sorrowful, means this. He, threw, he copped an attitude. He had a pity party. Some people, they blow up and they get angry. Other people turn in. They have a pity party. And both are the same thing. I just didn't get what I wanted. I wanted something and I didn't get what I wanted. What's amazing is this, as we look at our relationships and we think about the word meekness, meekness is basically like this. Like spitting in your hand. And what are you doing? You're taking away the friction. It's the idea of adding grease to a situation so that you can have a right relationship with somebody. Did I just spit in my hand? Yes, I did. So you won't forget it. The idea is this, you can have friction in your relationships and you can come and say, okay, what little do I have to give to get something? What's the line in the sand that I have to get right up next to before I'm crossing over it? What's the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law? This guy wanted heaven. He wanted authority because as you look at all the disciples, they had the same problem as this guy. They were asking Jesus, remember James and John, their mom? She went to Jesus and Jesus what can my sons do to go ahead and be on your right hand and on your left? And Jesus says, that's not mine to give. That's God's to give. But he says, if you want to be great in heaven, you have to serve everybody here on earth. And for this guy to serve other people, to give away his stuff, give to the poor, he couldn't do that. You think about your relationships. As I think about my relationships, we have these relationships that can be so fractured 
the kids uh, that maybe you're estranged from or the relationships that have gone south and gone sour. And you say, what happened? Why is it that I go from one relationship to another to another? Why is it that everybody that's really bad news and toxic, why are they attracted to me? I've got some sad news for us today. What if the common denominator isn't that we have toxic people that are attracted to us? What if we're the problem? What if our mindset needs to change a little bit to get to the point where we say, you know what? I'm not going to disengage and be sorrowful, but I'm going to move forward with a spirit of meekness. As you look in your notes here, as you see, what is the problem that we're facing? As you look there, before we jump into the eight ways of being meek, we'll see this. There are three ways our relationships are motivated, and this is, this is really the crux in order for us to move into understanding what it means to be meek. If your relationships are motivated by these statements, you'll see where you're going to have problems in life. I want from you. What can I get from you? That is a very transactional relationship. I do for you, you do for me. The problem is as soon as somebody stops doing for you, that means you need to stop doing for them. As soon as they stop doing for you, well, then it's not fair because I've done more stuff for you and it's been one-sided, so it's not fair. Another type of relationship you see there is I want for you. And this is a manipulational relationship. That is, you really don't realize it, but if you could just do this or say this or be this way, your life would be so much better. And all that is is just manipulation. Or the third type of relationship, and this is the most powerful one, is I want with you. Instead of from you or for you, I want a relationship, a connection with you. And for Jackie Robinson, that was a challenge that he faced day in and day out for nine seasons that he played through of people constantly rejecting him and saying, yet I'm going to pursue having a relationship with people. Was he unjustly treated? Yes. Would he be justified in, in getting angry? Sure he would. But did he keep a right relationship and have a right, uh, a right reputation? Yes, he did. When it comes to this word meek, I want to say this before we move forward, the word meek Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What we find is, back in those days, the Roman word for meek literally was this concept of military soldiers taking horses from the high mountains there in Greece. They would bring them down into the valley, down by the harbors, and what they would do is they'd break the horses in. If you know anything about horses, if you like horses, you understand that horses can be a little skittish at times. And the process of breaking a horse in takes a lot of work because they have to get used to you being near them and touching them and being around them. They have to get used to wearing a harness, a, a saddle, and, and having somebody ride on top of them. And what we find is this word, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, right away in people's minds as they understood this process of the military soldiers there from the Greeks to the Romans going through this process of breaking in a horse to become a war horse. Some of these horses they would bring in from the highlands, they would come down, they would pull uh, wagons and carts, and other horses would be used for courier service to go ahead and transport messages and some goods and supplies from one city to another. But the strongest horses and the horses that had the, the wildest sides, the wildest of stallions, they would use those horses to break them in to become war horses. The horses that they smell blood or they hear a strange noise or they're not used to being around uh, human beings or things or they see uh, a fire or, or light that they're unsure of, they're afraid of, they'll turn and they're skittish and they'll run the other way. So they would train these horses to fight and to move into battle, run headlong into arrows being thrown and spears being thrown and torches and fire and other horses running at them so that they could go ahead and win the day. When you think about your life and you say, but I've got talent and skills and ability. 
I'm, I, I have, at times I can be very self-controlled. I have self-discipline and I have self, an understanding of self-worth. I'm not going to let people walk all over me. When people attempt to walk all over you, and they will, you're guaranteed they're going to do it. It's not that they're degrading you, but they're degrading themselves when they do that. When people push you and test you and say things and do obscene things to you, the capacity to say, I'm not going to stoop to your level, takes an immense amount of spirit control by the Holy Spirit of God. But how can we take those eight ways and make them transform our relationships? We'll look in your notes here. How can you be like that war horse and have strength under control to get something done, but to have strength that's being controlled? Number one, first of all, meekness. We find this. We'll go ahead and put, up, put it up there. Number one, meekness creates space for people's mistakes. I wish everybody could be like me, flawless. I wish everybody could be as smart as me, a genius. I wish everybody could be as attractive as me, gorgeous. But the sad thing is nobody's like me. You ever find yourself like that? Whether it's driving in traffic or working with a coworker, and people do stuff and it's, they're stupid. I mean, there's some really stupid people out there. No, none of you in here, of course, right? But people do things and we think, what in the world? And yet at one point in time, we've made mistakes. At one point in time, we've messed up. And meekness chooses to create some space, allow space for people to make mistakes. And sometimes we find ourselves, if we can catch somebody in something, if we can trip them up, man, we feel good about ourselves because I caught you. There's a typo or there's a, something you dropped the ball or you messed up this project. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. When it comes to our relationships, with all lowliness of mind and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, how? In love. In order for us to have right relationships, instead of, but I'm right. You can be right and win the battle, but you can lose the war. You can stand your ground and be right and lose the relationship. You can stand your ground and be right, but lose your job. You can stand your ground and be right, but lose out on the opportunity to influence your kid's life. You can be right, but lose out on a friendship. Why? We find here, he doesn't say, stay on your ground. He says, with lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, that means putting up with a lot of garbage. The more garbage you can put up with, the greater capacity you can have to have relationships that are solid with people and loving on people. Number two is this. The second way is this. We find meekness connects people that are broken. People are messed up. People have problems. And you know who the biggest problem is? The person looking at you and I in the mirror. We are broken, broken people. So don't be surprised when people get upset and angry, especially in the workplace. We come Sunday and, man, everybody looks good and we smell good. Sunday mornings at Greater Philly is not about putting on an appearance. It's not about just showing up and putting our time in. Sunday morning is about getting prepared so we can go out and have an impact in the week. When we come into a situation and we find ourselves, man, why is this so crazy? It's because we're dealing with broken people, people who are struggling with sinfulness and people who are hurt. We find in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, uh, we see this. We've used this verse before in this series. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. Number three is this. Meekness gives people time to mature. Meekness gives people time to mature. Give people a chance. And people have given you a chance, and if you want people to be gracious with you, be gracious with other people. 
We're going to look in just a couple of weeks. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you find people aren't very merciful with you, it'd be a good time to go ahead and look in the mirror and say, am I being merciful to other people? If people are judging you or criticizing you a lot, could it be it's because this is how you deal? You criticize and judge other people. We find in James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Wherefore, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That is just just being crazy and being a gossipy and just causing uh, conflict with people. And he says, receive with meekness the engrafted word. That is, receive God's word, which is able to save your souls. Not just to save our souls, but to make our relationships right with people. Number four, we find this. Number four, meekness resists the urge to confront, correct, and condemn. If you find yourself, if I find myself just walking around, waiting to catch people up, waiting to, to trip people up and say, oh, you messed up, oh. What we find ourselves is this. We are going to ruin relationships and people are going to say, you know what? I don't know that I would really hang out with them. We find this. Paul says this to some people he's writing to a church in Corinth where he says, what will you? Shall I come to you with a rod? That is, should I come and beat on you and correct you? Or, he says, in love and in the spirit of meekness. And obviously their option would be what? Be loving, be kind to us, be meek toward us. Number five, the fifth way meekness can transform our relationships. Meekness forms mutual partnerships with people. Meekness says this, I'm going to come along and, and work with you so that we can go ahead and have a connection here, so we can have a relationship for Christians, for our church, for our relationships in our community. People will know that there's a difference if we are workable and flexible with people. And it's hard. And I know things can get so crazy in your work week, Monday through Saturday, it can get nuts. And people can be so obstinate and inflexible. But let that not be your reputation, that you're obstinate and inflexible with people. Why? Because everybody needs a break. Everybody needs some help. And if Christians are known by, we are not flexible people, we are obstinate people, we are stubborn and angry all the time, then why would anybody want to come to church on Sunday unless they had a death wish to be obstinate, angry, and stubborn all the time? What we find is this, with this verse we see here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul's writing to the church in Colossians, and it says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and what? Long-suffering. Now again, this is not saying play over and ro uh, roll over and play dead. This is not saying to cut corners and not do protocol in your workplace. This is not saying not to have safe, healthy boundaries in our relationships. But the overarching tenor should be that in our relationships that there's humbleness and kindness with boundaries. That there is long-suffering and forbearing with the rules of the protocol that go along with our workplace, whatever it may be. Number six, we find this, then meekness focuses on well, we find that meekness focuses on the relationship. Instead of being right, instead of saying, I'm right and you're wrong, what we find is meekness focuses in on the relationship. Jesus, if he focused in on our wrongs and on our sin, we'd be done for. The Bible says that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be what? Would be saved. We are agents of change and transformation when we express that to people. We find then number seven, Number seven, we'll move on. Number seven, meekness sees the hurt behind the hang-ups and bad habits. As we've talked about before, meekness, it sees that people are broken, but it also sees that there are hurts. If you knew why people acted the way they do and what motivated those actions, 
you and I would have so much more grace for people and so much more patience and a greater amount of meekness toward people. We find in 2 Timothy 2.25, it says this, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves, if God would give them repentance, the acknowledging of the truth, that is that God wants to help people grow. And how he helps people grow is by sending you and me to give people some grace, to give them a chance. Number eight then is this, we find that meekness sacrifices the present loss for the future long-term gain. When Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, he was wanted, what do I need to do right now to, be, to, to have uh, an entrance into heaven? What do I need to do right now to, to gain my uh, uh, good graces with you? What do I need to do right now to have an in with this Jesus party that's going on? And what we find is Jesus said, give up those things so you can gain something greater. Meekness sacrifices the present loss for the long-term gain. Paul says this to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. He says, I myself beseech you in the meekness and gentleness of who? Jesus Christ. You think about Jesus, and I'm saving this because later on in the series, we're going to really talk about Jesus' crucifixion a lot more and focus in on the cross. But think about the strength to have, strength under control, to stand before your judge, your persecutors, to be whipped and then accusing you. And Jesus, the Bible says he was silent. One of the encouragements we can take from this is when people are accusing and when they're derogatory and say judgments against us, one of our greatest defenses is silence. That we don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to speak up. We can be silent and not engage with the nonsense that people have on social media. And people post stuff in response to your uh, tweets and Instagram. And people put stupid stuff out there. Just block them. It's a wonderful, joyful thing to be able to do. I block people just for the fun of it. No, I'm just teasing. What we find here is this. And Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. It's a lengthy passage, but we'll jump in here as we wrap up and close this morning. He says, let this mind be in you. What's that mindset? That mindset which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And so he's talking about what Jesus, the authority he had in heaven. He says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of what? Of a servant. And was made in the likeness of man. He became like a man, a human being, 100% God, 100% man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became what? Obedient to the point of death, even the death of what? The cross. It wasn't a death by electrocution or death by poisoning or death by strangulation. It was the, the worst kind of death execution anyone could have gone through. Why did he do all that? Because in verse 9, he saw the long term, the long view in mind. Verse 9, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you choose to say, you know what, instead of dumping a gasoline on this situation, I'm going to dump water on the situation. Instead of making a mountain out of a molehill, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to, going to cause timeout and say, let's take a breather here for just a minute. You've got two buckets you got a bucket of gas and you got a bucket of water. You can choose which one to pour on the fire and to dump on there and to destroy relationships. Why? Because I want to be right. Or you can retain a reputation that says, boy, that person, they could have laid into me, but they didn't. I wonder why. Well, because they represent somebody and something that's higher than themselves, and that's Jesus Christ. Back in the early 1900s, in 1914, there was a clarion call to the the United Kingdom, they needed about a million horses to be taken into battle to fight against the Germans in France. 
And so in the year 1914, they had loaded up all their ships and horses onto their ships and sent them across the English Channel to France. And one of the horses that was loaded on one of these ships, his owner was a guy by the name of Jack Seeley. Jack was a general in the British Army. And so he took his horse, Warrior, loaded him up on a ship. And when he got to France, this horse was unlike any other horse. As the story has been told, War Horse, the movie by Steven Spielberg, is loosely based on some of these accounts. But as Jack Seeley rode his horse into battle, the horse became somewhat of a mascot for the soldiers. Through those times, through those days, the four years of World War I, about a quarter to about a half a million of horses were died from gunshot, from shell fire, from all kinds of different things. But in the midst of all this, this horse still stayed and kept charging through uh, the firing lines. On a couple of different counts, what's so amazing about Warrior was that he had these close, these near-death uh, calls, but he escaped amazingly. At one point, Warrior had gotten hurt, and so Jack uh, Seeley, the general, he had to go ahead and ride on another horse. When he rode into that battle on that other horse, that horse ended up getting hit by shell fire, and the thought Jack Seeley, as, as soon as he hit the ground, he thought, I'm so glad that I wasn't riding on Warrior. Another time, Warrior was stabled up with another horse, and they were just, nose, just inches away, nose to nose, and a sniper, a German sniper, had heard about this horse being the General Jack Seeley's favorite horse, and so he was going to try to take the horse out, and he mistakenly inadvertently shot the other horse, and the horse fell over and died. Another time, a tank came and knew that there's horses that were stabled in a barn, and so that, that uh, tank shot a shell into the barn and blew up the barn, and amazingly enough, in movie-like fanfare, Warrior ran right out the side somehow, had escaped being shelled. Warrior had made it through those four years of battle, and in March 30th of 1918 was one of the last conflicts. They were in Mural Woods in France, and General Jack Seeley, he had his troops with him, behind him, and they were, were, knew they had to come through this wooded area and crest over the top of a hill to head, uh, hit the Germans head-on. They didn't have a lot of uh, men there with him, with the cavalry and the infantry, but he decided to go ahead and charge the hill and try to take the enemy. As soon as he came out of the woods and the Germans saw him coming and saw and heard the hooves pounding against the ground, they got so scared because they knew the reputation of this war horse, they began to retreat and eventually gave up and surrendered. The warrior, he was taken back over to England about uh, four years later, he actually raced in a horse race across the Isle of Wight from point to point and won the race. And in 1941, at the height of World War II, the Times Magazine put an obituary in there about Warrior when he had passed away at the ripe old age of 32. It was unprecedented. They would never normally put an obituary in there about a war horse. But because of his accolades and his ability and his courage to fight, alongside with his, his rider and his partner, Jack Seeley, he had this incredible claim to fame. When you think about the things that people do to you and what they say to you, having strength and power under control. As you see there, this last statement in your notes, meekness, as we find there. Meekness is a willingness to give up the lesser in order to get the greater. Weakness is this, I will give up my rights in order to retain my relationship. I will give up the immediate for the future. I will give up the lesser for the greater. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope it was encouraging and inspiring. If you'd like to know more information about Greater Philly Church, you can go online to greaterphilly.church. You can also find information on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook about the church as well. I'd love to be able to connect with you on social media. 
You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt, M-A-T-T, Manny, M-A-N-N-E-Y. I've also got a blog with great content that you can find more information about at mattmanny.com. I hope the message today helped you to understand yourself, your relationships, and Jesus better in light of what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening.